0: Welcome to Dear Gardener, with me, Ben Dark. This is the gardening podcast that travels the world in search of horticulturalists and horticultural tales, dropping in on three different people each week and spending a little bit of time seeing life through their eyes. It continues to be a great pleasure recording these conversations. We're now a month in. I don't think that I have learned more in a month since I enrolled in Horticultural College all those years ago. It's been glorious. As someone who prides himself and to a certain extent makes a living in my writing, in seeing plants and gardens in a slightly different way and trying to explain them in a slightly unique way, it's quite humbling and worrying to realise that everyone can do it, everyone has that unique take on the world certainly our three gardeners today do two of them are very different but equally lovely gardeners from yorkshire god's own county the third is from lower bavaria a place that has now settled under its november mists all of these conversations were actually recorded in the first week of november 2022 As I sit here, it is the end of that week. We've had a fantastically changeable and blustery November, just how I like my Novembers. Sometimes they come in grey and low and determined to sit heavy on us and grind us into December. But this has been one of those months where one day it thinks that it's going to try and be the end of September again. And the next it experiments with a couple of squalls and storms and sideways rain and then it all whooshes back up. All the clouds rush away. Like when you drop washing up liquid onto a film of oil, they just recede. And the brilliant blue skies come out. We're in one of those moments now, it's dark. But out there, there is the most glorious full moon. Through this window here to my left, it's lighting up the cosmos still blooming in the garden. For one thing, it hasn't been. is cold. The cosmos is still going, looking like if there was a cosmos of Dorian Gray. Anyway, enough of that temporal stuff. I hope that people will be listening to this across time and space, across the world, where some of you might be in summer, and hopefully in the distant, distant future. So I hope we got through, and I hope that you enjoy... The conversation with the three gardeners today. Let's hear from Liam, Emma, and Bianca. I
1: hope I hope
2: Times are getting tough and the folks are cutting down. They even decide to do their own gardening. Their own gardener.
1: Take
3: my advice and knock off for a while. The happiness boys are on a rampage.
4: Fred has helped me to start a small Pelagonia nursery.
0: Emma, can you hear me?
4: Hi, Ben. Nice to meet you.
0: Hi, Liam. I can hear you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Good to see you. Hello. Hello. Hi, Bianca. How are you?
2: Hi, I'm fine. How are you?
0: I'm really, really well. All the better for speaking to you.
2: Yeah, I'm glad to see you. But I'm a bit nervous, to be honest.
0: You don't need to be nervous. No, 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 this is going to be really relaxed. You like talking about gardens. I like hearing about gardens. And anything that goes wrong, I'll just cut out.
4: When we bought the house there, a very clear structure, to the garden, it had been really loved and developed. It originally was a paddock and a wood that the previous owners turned into a garden. So every hedge, every path... They put in, we were really fortunate to, I wouldn't say inherit because we bought it, but, you know, to get that garden already established. But that said, I think one of the hard things with an established garden is then seeing yourself in it and, you know, putting your own stamp on it. We were really nervous about doing that. Whether we were being a bit sentimental, I don't know, we almost dared not touch some things. But then over time, you know, you kind of live with something for a bit and you think, oh, I'll just change a bit of that. And so we've taken it bit by bit to put our own mark on things we kept that legacy of what was there it was a very formal garden we've kept the lines of formality but kind of over time making it our own really
0: i think that's really brave i've been thinking about it quite a lot this week i was reading an article one of the old ronald Blythe articles from the very early days of hortus and he was telling the story about pre-war ladies lady spinsters who still retain their childhood patch they were given in their parents gardens in the 1850s and <laughs> that's their garden and you you sister you stay away from my patch and how hard it is to see beyond what is there what is your garden bit and, and always has been and never shall be changed and actually coming and breaking that and saying no we're gonna we're going to start again is a lot harder than people give credit for
4: it really has been with some things and some things were really established there was a beautiful weeping ash in the garden it was huge and it was really picturesque but it had ash dieback and we hung on to it and hung on to it and I felt like I was traipsing around from doctor to doctor hoping that somebody would say everybody else has got it wrong this is the cure it's going to be okay (laughs) And finally, we had the day where the arborist came and said, look, if you don't take it down, now, it's not going to be safe for me to take down and it's going to fall (laughs) on somebody. And honestly, I could have wept. I felt really guilty. And then we felt miserable about it. And we went to bed and we got up the next day and you'd never have known it had been there and the canopy of the rest of the trees sort of opened out, it was a fantastic view, it was just a new view. And I think in some ways that helped me going forward to go, it's okay. That spirea over there that's been in for 50 years isn't beloved by anybody. As I say, it's opened up that canopy and we've been able to underplant along there and just feel the space a bit as well. And I'm really guilty of trying to cram everything in. I want one of all of those. Let's have a you know, let's have all the <laughs> dailies. It's really sometimes it's it's about the space in between, isn't it? A space to breathe with it.
0: Tell me about the Masters. You were studying creative non-fiction.
3: Non-fiction writing. I used to be a playwright once upon a time, a long time ago, and I kind of drifted away from that. I had some terrible novels, terrible novels published by small press publishers in America, and I think the last royalty check I got about four years ago was for something like 79p, and it's like, oh, oh, come on. (laughs) Right, that, that says it all really. I thought that was validation enough to get a publisher and things like that. But no, I wanted to test myself properly with something a bit more systematic. Uh, so I decided to write creative nonfiction to align with a relatively newfound love of gardening. I mean, I've only been gardening for, for eight years now. So that was it, really. I just wanted to write about horticulture and write about my experiences gardening. It afforded me the chance to kind of. Submit work to people who know better than me and uh, to tell me whether it's absolute garbage or not.
0: Did they tell you it's not, I hope?
3: Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's the, um, yeah. Should, hopefully will be a distinction, but I'm waiting on the last submission to be uh, marked.
0: I'm sure it will be. What was your final submission, your big piece?
3: So we had to submit part of a manuscript, so about fifteen to 20,000 words. I wrote mine about a kind of memoir of the last eight years of my life, because gardening alone is not that interesting, you know. Basically, if you're relatively middle class and from Britain, by default, you're probably going to mow alone and carve shrubs into horrible. The only the only comparison that comes to mind. I don't think I can say it on this. Um, <laughs> Chess piece kind of shapes. I got my first garden. About eight years ago, it coincided with the birth of my daughter. We moved to a house because we lived in the centre of a town. Immediately after the birth of my daughter, I saw everything is untoward and a potential threat and things like that. So we thought, we'll move to the countryside. And we got a postage stamp of land with actual ground, not like paving slabs, but actual ground. So that enough is not that interesting. But it also coincided with a big mental health crash I had back then. And there's been a lot written about gardening and mental health and so on, but it really was a revelation to me. It changed my life completely. Um, it led a few years later to an adult diagnosis of autism as well, because I, I kind of threw myself into gardening so much that immediately I thought, right, I'm going to become a professional gardener. So as the gardening helped with the kind of stuff going on in my life, and it helped to sort of achieve a certain clarity. I felt that the garden is a kind of autobiographical tool to kind of discover more about myself, more about what was going on. And so that was the last eight years. And I thought, well, this would be good for the submission. Because it ended with me, the irony is, I got a job about a year and a half ago working for the Land of Gentry. And his big project was to rewild his land. And he had a, a wall garden that was designed by Dan Pearson. And out of the blue, I, I got a job there. And that seemed to be a good culmination point for the book, because, well, the, the imaginary book
0: that's in my head. Where in Germany are
4: you?
2: It's called Lower Bavaria. That's actually between the Bavarian forest and Munich. Okay. So it's a little valley. We have three rivers. The town is called Passau. And right now, it's foggy all the time because of all the humidity. So yeah, autumn in Germany, if you're going to work and you can't even see the street, that's a um, chilly feeling, but you get used to it. Like the first year when I lived here, was a bit moody, but then you just think, okay, if it's around noon, the sun comes out and then the fog slowly will disappear and then it's great. But yeah, we have high humidity here.
0: <laughs> you're not from Lower Bavaria?
2: Oh, I'm from Lower Bavaria.
0: Ah, okay, but you're just not from the same misty valley?
2: No, not the same Misty Valley, (laughs) but I come from the forest, so it's a bit more elevated. You don't have the mist lingering around all the day, but I moved here to study and then I just stuck here.
0: That happens.
2: Yeah, I grew up in a small village and when you have all the little houses, they all have their gardens and my grandpa was the gardener in our family and he actually built our house and then all around the house, there's a big garden and in the back, there's a vegetable garden. And he had this greenhouse growing tomatoes and cucumbers in. And right next to it, there was a huge patch of potatoes and beans. And on the compost heap, we had pumpkins and zucchinis and all that. So basically, I I played under the apple trees. And I was really sad when he cut down my favorite apple tree. My mom is not that into gardening and my dad just starts now. But it's funny because he comes to me if he wants to have some advice. That's a nice thing to do. (laughs) my dad does it for self-sufficiency he wants to have a bit less dependency on having food from the supermarket where he doesn't know where it comes from and more growing your own food where you know what is in it no pesticides all that
0: is that what drew you to growing on your terrace
2: yeah but basically i do it for taste because supermarket tomatoes we all know supermarket tomatoes (laughs) it's not that i'm afraid that i won't have Good tomatoes in the future but in, in like summer even the good supermarket tomatoes aren't as good as the good balcony tomatoes
0: quite right so you're not preparing for the apocalypse you're preparing for a really good brunch
2: yes <laughs> but if the apocalypse comes then i'll be prepared too so
0: <laughs> as long as it comes in the middle of summer
2: oh let's not talk about winter in
1: Germany.
4: i feel like we've got tulip fever here at the moment not being able to pass the next stand of tulips without thinking i blame klaus dolby for that (laughs) definitely
0: what are you going for what are your your klaus aspired infects this year
4: (laughs) i think you can't beat just a simple color on its own so for big impact we've gone for i'm trying to think of the name now gosh but the big white uh Tulips, cut that bit up <laughs> But I'm also I'm really taken with the peony shaped ones. And maybe there's something about that flowery big daily ahead. And and I always pronounce this wrong as it's slower slower. It's a kind of beautiful orange and red, but sort of muted together, not a bold contrast. But every year I think is an opportunity, isn't it? On the downside with tulips, you're saying, Oh, I've got to buy them again. But on the upside is you're going. Well, I get to buy them again, I get to have another go at different colours.
0: You get to live out all those different versions of your garden.
4: We have here the benefit of the woodlands at the side of the house. So we have a sort of long run in in spring from the snowdrops through to aconite through to bluebells. And so we get this lovely show of colour, but there is still nothing quite as showstopping as when the tulips first open, is there? Just kind of pow, here they are that really bright, vivid colour. I mean, I was listening to something, I think Alan Titchmarsh was saying the other day, that he never buys yellow tulips because by the end of the daffodils, he's had enough of yellow. I'm kind of the same. I'm like, no, we want the really bright thing. A bit like with dahlias, you can go a bit gaudy, really, can't you? Like showgirls.
0: The season is here. Enough yeah. of this sort of mimsying about with the beautiful. Of the spring
4: <laughs> yeah. stuff it. It's all beautiful and dainty, but give me some kapow now.
0: Let's start knocking people out. The um the aconites and the snowdrops are they legacy of the older woodland, or are they things that you put in? They're
4: they're legacy. They're. They come up throughout the woodland. Now, I don't know whether some of them will have been planted by the previous owner, but they've really spread throughout it. And it really is beautiful. I think what was planted by the previous owner and you know, some, it's really interesting because some people come and say, oh, what a thug. And then I think you're not my people there <laughs> because we have Chinodoxia comes up all throughout around the front terrace of the house. And in fact, it just comes up everywhere. So for about three weeks of the spring, it's like a carpet of blue. It's really telling uh, when people see it and they say, they either say, gosh, that's everywhere. How do you get rid of it? (laughs) Or they say, wow, that's beautiful. When I see it for sale in garden centres, I I feel like a millionaire. We've got
2: loads of that.
0: (laughs) What are you going to try next year? Are you going to be trying anything new?
2: Yeah, I've actually made a list so I don't forget anything. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, next year will be heirloom tomatoes because this year I was playing a bit around with the tomatoes that were hybridized and it didn't turn out well for me. I thought they were not as productive as my heirloom varieties that I already have. And also they were prone to sicknesses and I just didn't like the thought of not being able to gather the seeds and plant them again. And Instagram brought me into the wonderful world of heirloom tomatoes. And there are so many varieties and they are so beautiful and they are have been around for hundreds of years. So they should be able to stand the German climate. That will be next year.
0: So what are you going for? What particular heirlooms have you found?
2: Yeah, I'm a bit, uh, I haven't really grown those big tomatoes. I have more of cherry tomatoes. And now I'm going to go a bit for the beefsteak tomatoes. And there are so pretty tomatoes, like the ananas varieties that are just so brilliant. And some, they look like pumpkins and it's just amazing. And also the dark varieties, you have all those black beauties and they are just turning out so nicely. And I think they look a bit Gothic and it's really, I, I haven't had the flavors yet, but I heard they taste amazing too.
0: Oh, well, it's going to be a shame to eat them when they look so pretty.
2: Yeah, well, but with a nice burrata and some basil on top, I'm sure they look pretty sliced up too. Uh-huh. And also, um yeah, giving away tomatoes. If you have as many tomato plants as I have, and this year I grew sixteen varieties, and if you get a lot of tomatoes and you're sick of eating your own tomatoes and you're giving them away, it's always nice to give them a nice basket full of colorful tomatoes that the other person can enjoy as well. So yeah.
1: To the
3: I had a muddy patch of land and no idea what I was doing. And a very kindly landscaper came around because I said, I want this sorting out, it's too muddy. And he, he took one look at me and he said, no, you should do this. And I it, it was almost like he was the right person at the right time.
0: Something from some sort of predestiny fantasy plot. Isn't it?
3: Yeah. I turned my back, turned around and he disappeared. No, he <laughs> He, he got in a Citroen Berlingo and left. <laughs> so some kind of gatekeeper for my future. But no, the main body of the book is what I believe gardens are. I think there's a gap for gardeners to talk about what gardening actually means to them. There's two ways that I think about gardening. Probably one more so because of my sort of recent work with rewilding and this idea that with a bit of assistance, you let the land reclaim itself. But to me, I think the interesting thing about gardening, and you touched upon yourself, it has to have the human hand involved. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the Jungian, the shadow self and the self, and there's this negotiation between the two. I think that there's some Venn diagram somewhere where the chaos and the kind of unruly, what the hell is going on in nature, that we've always, as a species, tried to fight and control. And then you've got the order of human culture, you know, We, we arrange things and order things. In this venn diagram there's this meeting point where the garden exists where the human hand starts to try and tidy up a bit of nature and nature sometimes gets in and then human beings start to tidy up and you could look back to the big so the french renaissance gardens where you can see that the the venn diagram is skewed far too much towards people and you can dominate nature as far as the eye can see and you've got all these little cones of clipped u and box lining these big parades And then you've got modern gardens, which are still gardens, but the Venn diagram has shifted the other way. The garden you can look at and you can see how a person is integrated with the natural world and possibly even whether they've opened up to things within themselves, you know, letting things go, getting in touch with something a bit more primal by taking a look at the gardens. I think it's fascinating to watch what people do.
0: When did you move in? You came in in and.
4: We moved in in 2018 and we looked around the house together actually with my sister-in-law. We bought the house as a family to really allow us to buy such a big garden. We're both really keen gardeners. She and I looked around the garden while my husband was really looking at the house thinking hey, the roof needs doing, the electrics need doing. And we were just almost in tears going, oh, look, at, look at the compost phase, look at the garden. How
0: fantastic. So your sister-in-law <laughs> live there with you?
4: Some of the time. She lives in London as well. So we live here and garden here full time. And as I say, she's between London and she works globally as well. So it's somewhere where she comes to in the country as well. So, yeah, but as I say, we have a real shared passion for gardening. And it's allowed us to garden the sort of garden we wanted to garden. So. I think that's
0: the most so. wonderful setup. It works perfectly for, well, particularly for her. It sounds so, so great to have a life <laughs> in the city and the globe and then be able to come back to the beautiful part of Yorkshire. and the and Well, the you hear of people buying a
4: house to share together, don't you? Well, we, we, we basically bought a garden to share with a house attached.
0: <laughs> do your styles align fairly closely or do you have battles over the yellow tulips or not?
4: I think we're pretty aligned and that's helped enormously. That could be a nightmare. And we had a lot of discussions about this before we went into the setup. You know, what would we do if we really disagreed? And occasionally I would test her by sending her a picture of some ornament that we might both find hideous <laughs> to see, just, just checking, just checking that you don't want one of these. Um, but yeah, I'd say we're, we're pretty aligned and where we're not that we have to kind of come to some agreement about it. It can't be stamping on, on the other person's taste. I'm of the mindset of never say never things that I declared hideous 10 years ago. I now love as she often tells me about grasses. I just didn't really see it just really for contemporary gardens. They look fine there. They're not for me. And now they're popping in, (laughs) they're they're just easing the way in. And I think it won't be long before I'm
2: saying, oh, this is my new obsession. When I moved here, I bought a water house and it was the best decision ever. And every penny of it was well spent because just attaching it to the tap and then you have the water running and you don't have to run around with the watering cans like 20 times. That's just so much easier, but tomatoes need a lot of water, cucumbers need a lot of water. All my plants, like in the heat we had this year, they needed water daily. And in a garden, I think it's a bit less, it's a bit less of the stress with the heat because you still have the ground and it has water retention abilities to some point, but in a small balcony with all my planting bags and all my little mortar tubs that are filled with soil, it's just, it doesn't store enough water for a tomato plant to go two or three days.
0: I always particularly enjoy that end of the day watering when the heat's gone a bit and you've got the watering hose and you can just, the chance to look at the plants you've got and give them a drink at the same time.
2: Yeah, also when it's a bit cooler on the balcony and all the birds are flying around trying to catch the first mosquitoes and it's such a nice atmosphere.
0: Are you an early morning gardener or an evening gardener or whenever you can get the time gardener?
2: I am an early morning gardener before work. I like to step outside with my cup of coffee first thing in the morning, have a look. Is everything fine? Ah, okay. Some new tomatoes ripening nice. Ah, the cucumber is doing well. And then I go to work. And then when I come back and the heat is gone, I'm trying to give them the time that they need and do watering and do pruning and some harvesting. But yeah, I really like the mornings when you're just there and like watching, ah, everything's well. There's still a little bit of humidity in the air and it smells like soil and tomatoes. And that's a nice way to start the day.
3: I was uh, hopeless at running my own business. Absolutely hopeless. Because I'd go around and I think, well, I'm not going to charge for 10 minutes. And someone would make me a cup of tea and, oh, that's wonderful. And then I'd realize an hour and a half later, I'd be like, you know, you could do this. Oh, wouldn't this be a great... I just get so excited. And then I realize, oh my gosh, you know, they could genuinely just uh, scribble this all down and then go and do it themselves. It reminds me, I had a private client. He was amazing. It was my first client. And one day we had this terrible drainage issue. I was doing a bit of design and build. I was going to help him build this garden. I thought, well, you know, it's my first one. I'm going to learn on the job. I'll charge him a ridiculously low amount. And it'll only take 10 weeks, so I was confident in that. 20 weeks later, because he just kept changing his mind on things. There's a drainage issue. So he called out a draining specialist, and he said, I want you there, Liam. I want you there just to make sure that he's not going to rip me off. And so the guy said, right, okay, yeah, this is what we do. We need about three guys round. We probably need a mini digger, but we need to sort of excavate a channel. And I I was like, okay, yeah, but it all seems very above board. And uh, the guy left. And the client said, right. That's what we're doing today. I'm not paying that. We're doing it ourselves. And it's like, it's a drainage contractor. And I had this awful day of going around B&Q, trying to tell this guy, you can't scrimp on this stuff. You can't scrimp on this stuff. He's like, what's wrong with shower piping? It's much cheaper than land, you know, the, the, the perforated pipes, like, oh dear God. I mean, the whole the whole project, it was wonderful. It was amazing we got a decent garden out of it at all. It was really beautiful by the end. I mean, genuinely beautiful. The planting was a bit eclectic because he came plant shopping with me and we, you know, the designer in me wanted great drifts of things. We came away. We I managed to get him to go to three of one thing, just to kind of give a bit of rhythm. But he was just like one of those and a tracky car, person. let's have a palm tree. I mean, God, one of his ideas was uh, could we possibly have a circular patio that rose up out of the ground on hydraulics and that would become a table? I said, what's wrong with a little bistro set, you know, what's wrong with that?
0: I've put in a raised patio that comes up and spins around completely covered in Yorkstone for a car turntable. Have you? Well, I didn't do it. The landscapers laid it. That's yeah, fantastic. And it's in it that the, uh, the whole thing raises from a York stone patio, the central section raises up and then can do a full 180 turn. The trouble is, you can never get it to realign with the painting. Mm. On the existing Yorkstone, so actually, yeah, it doesn't create quite the effect. Always, you get this one of these almost magic eye pictures where you look at a patio and realize, why on earth does everything break in this circle? Can I, can I yeah. not see something until you see it raise up? But anyway, that's that's a, that's another description
3: my, my issue wasn't really the idea, although I did have practical issues of where are the chairs in this, and do they rise up, or do you have to bring chairs out and slide them under the patio? But more that his entire budget was three grand. He was a wonderful fantasist, but he was. I think it was great. First line, everything is there to test you.
1: The
0: structure of your garden is given by a lot of hedging, is that correct?
4: It is. So we have uh, a lot of beach hedging. And when we moved in here, gosh, it was phenomenally tall. I'm trying to think, sort of run about, I'm rubbish with, with measurements.
0: person and a half, two persons tall.
4: Easily easily two persons tall I think we had about 10 foot cut off it and it's still a good person and a half tall two persons tall one of the difficult things with the garden has been getting people in to do jobs because they would come and look and just say oh, it was too big uh, it's too high you can't do that I'm really fortunate in that I have a lovely lady in the village Lynn who comes and helps me in the garden and when she came to look around it the driveway, as you come into the garden, you don't see the back of the garden. And a lot of the garden reveals itself through different rooms and, and around the hedges. And, and she sort of always teases me now that when I met her, uh, I sort of said, please don't be scared. <laughs> don't be scared of it. I'm going to take you around the corner and show you the garden. Don't be scared. Don't think of it as one big garden to garden. It's just lots of little gardens that we garden a bit at a time. Somebody said to me, why did you want a garden so big? And I thought, well, I don't know that I'm going to get to have one in my next life. So it was the chance now. And there are so many different things we wanted to explore and do with the garden. And and the nature of it being set out in different rooms meant that we could do that.
2: Last year, we had a huge problem with all the white cabbage butterflies. And this year was less. So I think it was a good year for broccoli as well.
0: You don't net your brassicas,
2: yeah. Last year I thought about it, and then for the first two months they were fine, and I was like, ah, I don't need it. Then the cabbage butterflies came, and this year there were not so many that I was really like, it was a nuisance, yes. You had to wash the broccoli a little, little bit, but it was way less than last year, so no, I'm not netting my brassicas. But if I ever have a garden and if I ever have proper space and probably a greenhouse and whatever, then I'll have a separate Brassica area where I can net them and where I can protect them from all those nasty little butterflies. But so far, my cat is doing that job for me because she catches the butterflies and eats them. So, yeah, natural pest control.
0: That's a very uh, lucrative breed of cat you've developed there, a cat that eats cabbage white butterflies.
2: Yeah, but she eats everything else. Like if there's a lizard on the balcony, which happens sometimes, I have to get it before she gets it. Otherwise, sad times.
0: She doesn't pull your plants apart though.
2: No, that's something that I tried to unlearn as soon as I got her because she was trying to dig in the ground and using it as a loo. And I was like, we don't do that around here. Can you please go inside? I
3: was so in love with gardening that genuinely I would go around and garden for free you know, you can, see, you can see from the outside, this is a bad business trajectory already, you know, it's not going to feed the family. And so, yeah, when the opportunity for paid employment with the custodian of the land came up, I took it. I'm a very good gardener. I've got an eye for design. I'm quite good at this kind of thing. It was good. So we had um, a wall garden. This is uh, designed by Dan Pearson. It was about an acre and a half. It was beautifully done. It had seen better days. And that should have been alarm bells to me, number one, is why Why has it got to this state? Why am I coming in? My remit was to bring it back to its former glory. What
0: would the Ward Garden, the Dan Pearson Garden, have been like in its prime? Did you get the plant list?
3: Yes, I did. Pretty much there or thereabouts, it's a golden uh, ratio rectangle. It was a kitchen garden originally about 100, 100 or so years ago. It had fallen in disrepair. The top of the garden around the little glass restaurant area was a nod to the kitchen garden heritage. So there was rhubarb, and the planting list had things like artichokes growing there, lots of herbs, along with things dotted throughout it like nepita. There was a lot of soccer cocker structural elements to sort of welcome people into the garden. There were great magnolia grandifloras
0: around, beautiful specimens. As as trees or as standards or as wall shrubs?
3: No, as multi stems. This
0: is Dan Pearson, they'll be multi stems. That's one of the
3: things that he came around and said, I don't like that. And it would just be a standard. So it's like, oh, well, fair enough. And he was right. Even if I didn't agree with it at the beginning, I, I came around very, very quickly. He, he argued his case so wonderfully. There were lovely examples of melanchia, amelanchia, little points. So basically, the central lawn, the undulating lawn, had vast perennial beds around the edge, through which is a serpentine path going all the way around the garden, doing a full loop on itself. And through these perennial beds and across these serpentine paths, this regiment of beautifully pictured yew hedges, good fifteen feet high, would come across in these kind of horizontals that broke up the eye line as you look through. There was a sense of discovery because as you go through the serpentine path with all this tall perennial planting around you, the hedges would just intrude a little bit on a bend. And so, even though it's a wall garden and from certain vantage points you can see most of it, you can never see all of it. And then it would become more woodlandy toward the bottom with the Amelanchia groves, where there'd be these lovely willows. They were beautiful, kind of almost vortices of wiry trunks. They just needed a pruning when I came. And the Amalanchias needed a good crown lift, but they look great. And under which sort of North American woodland native, the Brunnera, but you know, this is down, so you wouldn't have had the variegated forms, which I quite like. I quite like the Jack Frosts and things, but they were just the native Brunnera because everything was designed to be a kind of version of what you might see out in the woods of the moorlands beyond. It was all really
0: cleverly done. Tell me about the compost setup. What what are you doing?
4: So part of the garden that was already here when we came, there were seven large built built bays sort of in the style of the kind of Victorian Edwardian garden but in keeping with the style of the house we were falling in love with the garden and then walked around this corner you could see that the greenhouse and my husband said I bet she loves the greenhouse and and he hadn't seen that I'd seen these compost bays at the side and I was like took my breath away I mean how geeky is that and the owner said actually to to somebody because she'd had quite a few people look around she said oh I feel safe selling it to them or something along those lines I I knew she was a gardener when she sort of cooed over my compost base (laughs) I mean I have to give credit to my husband because he's got really technical with it I was just chucking everything in on a basic kind of mix it up nitrogen carbon kind of mix and Mm. it and it all works doesn't it it just it's about how much time it takes but he's become really technical about it in that sort of a really obsessive sort of way we almost don't put anything in there until he's tested whether we've chopped it up enough Uh, but the bonus is he's become a compost making machine
0: you do get obsessional you do want to check on it all the time and get your meat thermometer and stick it in the middle
4: (laughs) i think in our old house, when we built our first compost heaps, I think that was the first time, I've been growing things for a long time, but I think the first time I lifted that up and saw that it was like black gold, that's the first time I thought, I can do this, somewhere in this I can do it, and it gave me the confidence to keep going with that really, put everything in, mix it up and leave it. I think there's something about it having access to air. I know a lot of school projects and they'll often have the plastic compost bin and it's always a bit disappointing when they tip it out because it's just a bit sludgy and because they've put a lot of apple calls in from playtime and left it and not really got any air to it so it puts a lot of people off.
0: There's something wonderfully and especially horrifying about taking off a wet compost bin lid and seeing all of those... <laughs> hoverfly larvae. do you know the ones they look like something yes. from a john carpenter movie incredible tales coming out and you think oh dear let me just put the lid back on uh, but yes your your compost i'm sure is a completely different beast
4: when we first started gardening here there'd been raspberry beds that, that had all withered and um, they'd all been eaten by uh, cockchafer they are like you say real john carpenter it's a horror movie looking things aren't they
0: the most horrific moment is when you've got say like a potted hooker, and you go to move it by picking up the whole rosette of leaves and it just comes off in your hand <laughs> something from jaws and there's nothing on the end of this arm and that's a really really worrying moment i'm sure the the other side of the coin you have all of the beautiful let's sit and Absolutely. watch this I've like.
4: Absolutely. And it's, you know, I I think uh, we were really lucky as well in that the previous owner was very anti-pesticides. She'd had people who'd gardened here who'd been desperate to spray everything. I think she'd driven them mad by saying no. And, And I'm so glad she did because the the garden we came into and we've maintained it that way has really been just thriving with wildlife. We have a lot of owls in the woods, which is really interesting when it's courting season for owls. It's hard to get, get a good night's sleep from there, but uh, they're all very happy. Once you garden like that, you start to take that for granted. And it's only when we have friends who come from come up from London or come from the city and and they'll take a walk in the garden on a morning and they can't believe it. They're like, wow, it's see there's so much bird song. And and we're sort of, is there? Uh, oh, oh no, you should hear this. It's always, oh, you should have heard it last week. Uh, <laughs> you should have heard the owls when they were here.
2: <laughs>
0: How high up are you? Are you way above the streets?
2: It's the thing between first floor and second floor. I'm high enough so people can't look onto my balcony. But still, when I'm sitting there with my cup of coffee, I can get all the gossip from the streets. And I always know who's coming, who's going. So it's not that high.
0: That sounds idyllic. So you're still part of the world, but you've got a little bit of distance from it.
2: Yeah, because my my tomatoes tend to grow over the balcony. So if I want to harvest them, I have to go over the balcony as well. But it's so high that nobody can grab them. So they're still all for me
0: you grow quite a lot of trailing vine type tomatoes
2: yeah because i haven't grown the real big beefsteak tomatoes yet but those probably will need a steak because they don't like the trailing part that much and also they are heavier with cherry tomatoes you don't have a lot of problems because the fruits are too heavy but yeah i have a lot of trailing tomatoes and i also grew sweet potatoes this year which trailed nicely along the balcony i haven't them out of the ground yet so i don't know how the tubers look but the leaves were nice
0: it's a very attractive plant
2: really good at the nursery there were leaves who were just normal leaves but in a light green then normal leaves in a normal green then they had red leaves who were sliced and all that and i bought all of them so yeah it looked really nice and also i had some morning glory growing around too so it was a tropical atmosphere
0: sounds absolutely glorious what's the orientation of your balcony where do you face
2: it's south fashion balcony like, literally from 10 o'clock until the sun sets we have sun on the balcony
0: when you picked your apartment did you know you were going to be growing on this scale
2: yes and no like it came into the apartment and i saw on the ad in the internet yeah it has a balcony but when i moved into the living room and I went out the door and there was just this huge balcony because my last flat had a two square meter balcony and now I have a 20 square meter balcony. I was just like, oh my God, all the stuff I can plant here. And my boyfriend was like, oh my God, all the stuff she can plant here. So yeah, I decided I need this flat because of the balcony. He was worried because of the balcony because somebody has to put the soil from the car to the flat and that wasn't me, big thanks yeah i knew i would try and grow more but it escalated a bit because then corona came and with all the covid uh, 19 things in germany we had a harsh uh, rule of not going out so basically you were contained in your flat and the only thing i could do to entertain myself was trying to get the most out of the balcony and yes that did work
3: With the wall garden with Dan Pearson, the whole thing was riddled with bindweed, with creeping thistle. It was like gardener's nightmare stuff. Anyway, the day came, Dan came, which made my day, made my year. I was running around after him like a little puppy, listening to everything he had to say, and he was wonderful. I thought, never meet your heroes. My my big fear the night before is he would be an, an utter bastard to me, you know. He'd be awful, but he was one of the wonderful people. He was lovely. And he came around and he said, well, unfortunately, we probably need to treat this with some glyphosate and the custodians like, not happening, not happening. So he's like, well, okay. Um, the other thing we probably would have to do is, and the perennial planting is looking a bit tired now. and We have to address this before we re- readdress the perennial planting is we take everything out. We take everything out. We root wash everything. And he was asking questions like, is, is the bindweed through the hedges? Yes. It's like, oh, well, I don't think we can do it without a little bit of life. say. but if we were judicious, we could get back to organic. No, nope, it's not happening. It's not happening. By the time I left, there were two full-time gardeners, me included. The other guy who was wonderful, great technician, knew nothing about plants or anything, but he was, he was brilliant with machinery. And he's one of those guys on an estate, you just have to have one of those guys. There was a guy who was part-time and then this collection of characters that would come in and out on days and... I was looking at this, but we need four full-time gardeners here. I spent half of the time weeding. And then it got to a point where he had people on contract, stonemasons, brilliant craftspeople. And he had them on retainers. He's like, I don't care what you are. Just weed the car parks. There's car parks everywhere that need weeding. And in my head, you know, we're very expensive car park de-weeders. There are times where you need to bring some other muscle to it. So there's some fabulous things going on there. Some zany things. There were there were pe- people employed to be place activation managers, um forest and earth gurus, there were shamans on the payroll. And I was looking around, can we not just have a few gardeners? Would be quite nice, you know. <laughs>
0: the shamans wouldn't be sent to weed the car park.
3: Oh gosh, no. And they were the drivers of new projects and there was this wonderful guy. I met him on the first couple of weeks. He was called the Earth Guru, I pulled out a divining wand which I've never seen anyone do before. And the whole point was he was going to he was going to decide where some rocks, a so little rock shape would be. And the other gardener there, the practical guy, is just like, well, who's going to strim it? Who's going to strim it? It's me, isn't it? I'm going to strim this, you know. And they never teach you this at horticultural college, do they, you know?
0: They certainly do not.
2: I hope that our little cherry tree gets cherries next year, because this year we get blooms it blossomed in spring but it was too cold for bees so it wasn't pollinated probably next year spring will be better
0: but you need and to get a paintbrush and do it yourself
2: tried i tried running around with the brush and playing the bee but apart from the neighbors being amused there was no really outcome um, from that one
0: did you make the noise <laughs> that's part of it you've got to oh make no
2: I didn't make the noise
0: well there
1: you oh, go next
2: what year. a shame okay yeah next year <laughs> getting the brush and making the noise and probably try a little bit of buzzing too. Like I really do that with the tomatoes. There's this this thing that when you just like wiggle around the tomato blossoms, then somehow it gets pollinated because it thinks you're... um, um,
0: A bumblebee.
2: Yes, you're a bumblebee. But yeah, that worked. No success with the cherries
1: though.
2: We're
4: putting in a formal pond Uh, to one side, and a wildlife pond uh, as well. So um, we're sort of, hopefully, this is sort of one of the last big structural things that we're doing. And actually, this is probably the first big structural thing that we're doing that feels like a really big change to the imprint of the garden, sorry, to the footprint of the garden. I will say we've worked throughout this, and it's the first time I've ever done this we worked with a garden designer throughout this process and that's been absolutely invaluable not doing that would have been like building a house without an architect really and when we started it was very much well you tell us what we should be doing and as we've grown in confidence with it it's now much more of a partnership of well actually this is sort of how I see it but how are we going to work the planting here and how are the transitions going to go between this garden and this garden? I think somebody coming to it without that sentimentality of, you know, feeling that legacy of previous owner, just saying, well, actually, let's just look at the space as it is and let's think about how you use it, actually how you as a whole family use it as well.
0: That sounds like a very, very good way of doing it. I want to hear a little bit about the formal pond. It's going to be a great big rectangle, is it?
4: It is going to be a great big rectangle, an enormous great big rectangle. I
0: love big rectangular ponds. I think they're fantastic. <laughs> I think they're stonking things. Some of my favourite gardens have big angular watercourses. Tell me about it. Well,
4: you know, I have to say we're really close to, uh, to Scampton here that has a beautiful big, it's probably more square, but, you know, that sort of formal pond. And so I think we have those kind of influences in mind. And when we renovated in the kitchen garden, It had had all these beautiful Yorkstone paths demarking the rows. They were beautiful, but they were impossible (laughs) as well because there were just 50 years webs of of weed roots underneath them. So we decided to take those up and we have put up brick paths in the kitchen garden with raised beds that meant that we could use the York stone where we could see it as well and so that we're using to edge the formal pond and then just to create a sort of more looser perennial planting around it with a mixture of of grasses. See the grasses are coming in. (laughs) It's really important for us here in East Yorkshire where we we have some glorious weather in the summer but we have long winters as well that we have structures in the winter that's where the sort of semi-formal comes in with it a little gentle chaos kind of and formal structures that we'll see throughout the winter but then a much looser planting in between.
0: I think that sounds absolutely gorgeous I can picture it now in the winter with your your grass heads standing up and then it's low sun off the water <laughs> oh, so
4: it starts we break ground on it in about three weeks time so we're doing clearing some clearing before christmas and and then i know i'm going to have months of looking at mud till we start
0: are you going to have diggers and things trundling across the lawns
4: we are after years of doing everything ourselves and barrowing tons of things across gardens and gardens have created in the past um I don't know why we did that. It was just so much better with a digger. Uh, We were fools. Should have just spent the money and got the digger. You know, things that would just be a two-year project sort of done in a couple of days, really. Uh, Yeah, it's amazing seeing them at work, digging that out. It means you can do the fun stuff then, doesn't it?
0: No, I'm a, I'm a whole-hearted, signed-up member of the Digger fan club. Actually, we had an electric digger at the last place, which was fantastic. Fully as powerful and as kitted out as as the normal diggers. Slightly disappointing at first, because there's something about digger driving that's so primal. It's like it judders and it stinks of diesel. And like, <laughs> this, is, this is certainly not deadheading. This is something very different. And you lose a little bit of that <laughs> in driving an electric digger. But otherwise... <laughs> <laughs>
2: i'm a regular customer of several online shops selling bulbs and it's getting out of control last year i bought so many lilies oh my god but they were beautiful and they smelled really nice but i had to stop myself i was like okay you have four varieties already bianca it's enough
0: wow what kind of lily were you growing
2: the asian and the oriental ones so the ones who don't smell but have really pretty flowers and also the one who smell and the nicest variety, oh, I can't remember the name, but they had huge white flowers and they smelled so divine. Like in the evening, when you sat in the bike, it was just amazing.
0: They smell like no other. You almost want to keep stepping away and then stepping back out. So you smell it again, fresh Yeah, but time. if you
2: step too close, you will get the lily dust all over your nose.
0: And all over your shirts as yeah, well. Yeah, the which pollen is uh,
2: really hard to remove.
0: It is, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: I like passion fruits for the flowers and the fruits. But flowering is enough. They don't even have to set fruit, but I cut fruit from the passion flower outside. Like it's not edible because it's a Passiflora cerulea, I think, and they, you can't eat them because they don't taste good, but still it's had fruit. So there's hope for my tropical passion fruits.
0: Definitely, there definitely is. I think even the inedible ones, they're attractive to look at. They have yeah. that lovely sort of eggy shape and it's nice.
2: Yeah, and it's still on the it's still on the vine. So it's, it's just eggy and orange and it looks nice.
0: You grow up the wall of the house as well as just on the terrace of the balcony.
2: Yeah, up the wall, down the wall. Like my neighbor below me once said, oh, Bianca, the prettiest thing on my balcony is the sweet potato wine growing down from yours. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) You're doing a service.
2: Um, Yeah, I'm trying to be of service. I I taught her how to grow plants and she's slowly getting into it. So she's just like the plants are surviving and it's good. And probably not next year. She will put a little bit of more time. And then the plants will be even better. But for now, she looks at my sweet potato wine and is very glad that I'm a neighbour, giving her free plants to look.
0: You've gone back to teaching, I understand. But you're gardening for yourself still?
3: I'm gardening for myself. Luckily, we had the fortune to buy a house with quite a big garden. The, the only way we could afford it is right on a main road. But the back garden is... I'm going to say huge. It's huge to me. And I guess that you're talking to people from all around the world. And if they're American listeners to your podcast, they'll be like, that ain't big, mate. That ain't big. It's big to me. It's it's nearly a quarter of an acre. But all of it's a slope. And yeah, that's how I could afford it, really. We've been here for about a year and a half. It's roughly planted up, but um, it's been getting to know what's there. It's getting another trees in the shrubs, some some lovely specimens, and it's just getting them to a lovely shape and figuring out what to do with this this slope. I built a deck that juts out right in the centre of the garden. It juts out, and beyond there's no houses at the back, so it it looks out onto a nature reserve and fields and woodland beyond. Because it's so steep, the deck juts out at such an angle. You're raised up above half of the garden. And,
0: and you feel you're on a clifftop looking out there. You've yeah,
3: no balustrade. I'm not, you know, I have just told my daughter, don't run off the edge. I tell that to the guests as well, you know. Don't get too drunk down there. You'll end up crushing my plants, which I don't need to do. <laughs> and, um, and it's very dark at the bottom of the garden, very hot and light and sunny at the top It's south facing, so at the bottom, we're doing a woodland garden. We put in a lot of liriope, and I've tried to buy as much cyclam and heteropholium as I can get my hands on. I love things like galium odoratum. I don't know if you've ever used sweet woodruff.
0: Yeah, yeah, you use it all the time as edging for woodland paths, because it runs right up to the edge of the path very, very effectively. It smells lovely. Yeah. It makes a good carpet. And... You never get rid of that when
3: you get it in, but yeah, it's yeah. so easy to manage. Uh, we had a hosta collection from the previous house, so... They've got in the ground and now I'm just Googling garlic wash and things. Like that. Cause I do, I love a
0: hosta. What are your plans for the hotter area?
3: The hotter area is because I can see the moors, I can look out the window. The moorland is there. There's a woodland in front which of it. Um, so this is Ballsworth moor. So we, between our house, Howarth, you know, where the Bronte sisters grew up yeah. And yeah died yeah. of all kinds of horrible. Graveyard related water poisoning. Um, it's the moor that kind of separates us from that so it's about 10 mile stretch of heath and well it'll be heather. So the hotter areas we've got little kind of swathes of heath inspired by the moors and and RHS Harlow car have some lovely sort of heather carpets uh but that gives way to a kind of grassland. there are these lovely tufts of these uh, i don't know whether you get them so much down south in britain you might get them in denmark actually in wetland areas but the kind of rushes that you get like, moorland rushes
0: yeah and um, the, ones, the very thin leaf yeah um kind of stuff Yunkus, yeah I, I don't want
3: them all through the garden and they do tend to seed around the place a lot so i've replaced those with frothier alternatives, so we've got some Carex and uh, Calamagrostis, two types of that. I love Melinia, I love more grass, so we've got some of the shorter types, and then there's the transparent in great swathes across down the hill, and then knitting together the soil very well, and then between those we've got New Praetorians, lots of tall things. So we've got one central path that will take you down to the deck, and I want it to be immersed with a kind of froth as you go down. There's one I, thing that i have been desperate to grow is Phlomis tuberosa. I don't know if you've worked with that before. The movie type? Yeah, I bought one and it's done nothing for two years. It should thrive where it is baking hot, you know, south-facing, the neutral pH. Who knows? But it's not doing much yet. It's
0: much harder than the classic Rustiano. Mm. I, lo- I lost mine when I was growing it, but I was trying to grow it quite hard up in an established orchard meadow and I hadn't weakened the grasses around it I was almost wanted it to rise just above the grass as it was yeah so I made little circles for it to plant in and I think it just got out completed by the encroaching roots so I'm not the best person to ask about (laughs) right I
3: was hoping for a tip (laughs)
2: I've killed enough plants along the way it's the journey and you have to learn and (laughs) It's not that I don't have a graveyard somewhere with a lot of plants that are waiting for me when I die. <clears throat> There's so many overwater plants. I'm really sorry for all the plants I've killed when like, when I started with the plant thing and I just didn't know better. It's sad to think, but yeah, that's what happens.
0: You killed them through love. That's the thing.
2: Yeah, I thought, oh, baby, take a drink. Another sip. Shouldn't do any harm. It did. Yeah. Last week I rescued a big heirloom Heuer from a grandma, like the grandma passed away and her daughters looked after her plants. And when I got her, like there was so much water sitting in the pot, like, I don't know, 20 centimeters. And I was like, ah, uh. and I tried to rescue her right now. Like I just put her in a bathtub and I just pulled her out and the roots were rotten. So I tried to save her, but yeah, it happens and I hope she pulls through. But yeah, overwatering killed some of my housemates and it's okay. Everybody who hears that it's okay. It happens really
0: very encouraging message that was such a lovely chat Bianca I think the listeners will really like listening to it
2: oh my god will there really be people listening to me okay now I'm nervous again
0: (laughs) thank you so much for talking Bianca that was really nice
2: yeah I hope you have a very nice evening okay yeah cool
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much
2: have a nice evening man ciao 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 bye-bye
3: I don't think we're going to live the good life. I don't think we're going to be self-sufficient with the three raised beds I've managed to get, but we've got some nice stuff. Lots of, lots of celeriac <laughs> and stuff. I've got to harvest my Florence fennel today, the last of it. So,
0: brilliant! I'm glad there are gardening yeah. jobs on the cards today. Which, talking of which, I should probably let you get back to now. Right, it's been a pleasure. It's lovely. Uh, that was so. That was so interesting. You expressed it very well. I'd like to drop in and talk again to more about um how the garden project's going maybe maybe in in summer next year when when things are up and flowering oh
3: oh, no doubt i'll have a publisher by (laughs) then but um hopefully i'll finish a manuscript at least by then and uh and we can talk a bit more and it'll be brighter and nicer and more pleasant outside it'll be less wuthering (laughs)
0: less wuthering but you'll have reached new heights it'll be great
3: very good
0: (laughs) cheers Ben. thank you okay lovely it's Take wonderful. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank bye. you.
1: The sunlight,
0: the thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been really really great. Oh, I think you've you. described your garden beautifully. You make it very clear how much you enjoy spending the time in the garden, which I think will come across really well to the listeners. Great.
4: Thank you. It's really lovely to talk to you. Again. Honestly, after such a long time listening, it's been great. Thank you.
0: And you as well. Bye bye. Thank you to Emma, Bianca and Liam for talking to me today. I would certainly like to talk to each of them again so we can keep ears alert for that. Horticulturally speaking, from me, not much to report this week. The last of my bulbs are in, bar a discount run to the tulip bins. They come down precipitously in price towards the end of November. When the generalist shops, the shops that cater to barbecue, Christmas, pumpkin season and bulbs, suddenly realise they need to stock more. Well, over here in Scandinavia, it's more of those funny, trollish, LV gnome things with the the stick-like legs and the big hat. Mischievous and cheesily attractive gnomes, giving us all a great big discount on tulips. If you, or anyone you know, would like to talk to me for Dear Gardener, the best way is probably to get in touch with me on the social media. I use Instagram at ben underscore dark underscore. There's a little trailing underscore, like I've got something caught on my foot behind me, but that's the only way I could get the Ben Dark name. And on Twitter, I'm at Ben's Garden. There are links to some of the things talked about today in the episode description on your podcast app, and also a link where you can find out more about my book and about how you can support the Dear Gardener podcast. Always the best way, well, probably the second best way, the best way is on that link, the second best way is to tell someone about the podcast. Tell a friend who might be interested or someone who looks particularly stressed out and in need of some chlorophyllic listening. It's been a pleasure to have you with me and with the Dear Gardeners this week, and I'll see you all again next Tuesday for another episode of Dear Gardener. I hope
1: to the center
2: light. I hope to the center light. Times are getting tough and the folks are cutting down. They even decide to do their own gardening. their own gardening.
3: Take my advice and knock off for a while. The Happiness Boys are on a
1: rampage.
4: Fred has helped me to start a small pelargonium nursery.